We can't give up. We got to keep on helping these people. The war, the politics, I don't understand any of it, but I know that these people here, they need food, they need housing, they need heat, they need fresh water. I spent $3,000 of the donated money from my friends and the, your support. $3,000 went a long ways. There's at least 350 couples or families that are eating for the next four or five days from donations. And that's good-hearted Canadians showing that they care. We need to keep on caring. We can't go, okay, next news story. The Ukraine conflict is still going on. I'm Peter McCulley. On this edition of Today in BC, we're chatting with Daryl Mackay of Vancouver Island, who is in the Ukraine. Mackay's made five trips to the Ukraine, has raised money to send stretchers overseas to help transport the wounded, and is now working with a documentary crew. Mackay talks about what he sees and hears on the ground in Ukraine on this edition of Today in BC. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Daryl. Thanks a lot, Peter, for having me back on. It's important to keep this in the news or in people's minds. Where exactly are you in the Ukraine as we're chatting now? I'm sitting in the front stoop of a safe house 20 kilometers away from the front line. I can't say where it is right now. Just I can't give away the identity of the house, but it's, it's close enough that there's mortars coming in and constant air raids. Have you had the opportunity on this trip to the Ukraine to be in some towns and cities that you visited previously? We did a route that I did in April, May, so six months ago. So I saw it in summer and I reconnected with a few people that I met on the first couple of trips. And these people are, again, I'm humbled. I'm constantly humbled. One old fellow we met yesterday, we delivered a wood stove to him. His apartment was wiped out, taken right off the map. And I hadn't met him, but I donated money for power tools. And one of the translators, she told him who I was. And the old fella, so humble, shakes my hand on his heart and yakuya, yakuya, yakuya. I'm constantly brought to tears here. I don't think I'm tough enough for this stuff. When you were in the Ukraine last time, you sent us a photo, which we used in the story notes and in the news story about a 90-some-year-old woman who you ran across in one of the camps. Yeah, back in May, we are at a refugee camp, and there was a new person in there. She was a 94-year-old woman. This time around, we had to stop by the same refugee camp, and the woman running it recognized me, came over and had a chat, and I just asked her if there was any update on the the 94-year-old treasure. She's such a sweetheart, and she looked at me, she goes, yeah, she's still here. She took me into the refugee center, and she was all bundled up on her bed. The woman that took me in there talked to her, and she sat up, and I walked over, and she had a big smile. And this lady translated in Ukrainian that I'd been there in the summertime, and the elderly lady said that she remembered me. And I went over, and she stood up and gave me a big hug and gave me a kiss on the cheek, and I hugged her. And she was all of four and a half feet tall, just a tiny little thing. And so we had a talk with her, and again, she was full of hope, full of cheer. She just said, this isn't going to go much longer. It'll be over soon. And I I just can't believe how positive she is. And she's still there nine months, and she's not giving up hope. She's living in an open room with probably 10 or 12 beds and four or five other refugees, a couple injured soldiers, and she's not giving up hope. It just brought that trip and this trip into a full circle and a bit of closure that she's still okay and she's still going. And it made my trip. I really feel for the old people. These people have been through hell already, and they should be having their golden years. That's all taken away from them. 
I think why it bothers me so much is like kids and young people, they still have a chance to regain that. These old people, this is their last days and it's hell. So how are things in those towns and cities now compared to your first visit? It's pretty awful. We just gone through a cold spell here. I think the coldest we saw was minus 15. You'll see totally bombed out buildings with just one light on. Most of the windows are boarded up. The town of Izium, in the summertime, there was hope. There was lavender blooming. It was 24 degrees. It was a beautiful place. At minus 14, the wind's whistling. There's ice everywhere. It's probably maybe 20% occupied. It's a place that the Russians said they were liberating, but they absolutely destroyed the place. People have to see this. You, you can't describe it. People have to see it. And I know that it's fallen out of the papers, off the news, but it's still going on. It, it's tough. Daryl, when we chatted on the podcast last spring, you had been fundraising for stretchers. I wonder how our listeners were able to help you. I'm amazed. I'm at a total now of donated money up to $55,000. People have come to bat. I had people sending me money I've not heard from in 20 years. I had strangers sending me money. I've met strangers. I've had a lot of people show faith in me to deliver the goods and the organization that I'm working with, it's called Ukrainian Patriots. The leader, Lana, she's amazing. And she's let me directly spend the money. So there's no middleman. Went to the grocery store a few weeks ago. I spent $3,000. $3,000 made up 350 food bags. And we've dispersed those along the way. And these are internally displaced people. Some of them don't have homes. Some are staying in rec centers. Some are sleeping on cots and offices. They don't have homes anymore. And to see $3,000 go that far, it's the best $3,000 I spent. And it wasn't my money. That was money donated by people that heard your podcast, saw my Facebook, saw the print. People in Canada have really helped. And I really hope they main keep on helping. And I'll post a couple good organizations where they can send funds to. I've been asked to come back. I don't know. I, I keep on saying this is going to be my last time because it's, it's a lot. Of, it's it's tough going. But again, that's going to be a talk with my wife. Daryl, tell me about the stretchers. When you were fundraising six months ago, you were trying to get some of these very portable stretchers that were fairly reasonably priced. How many did you manage to purchase at that time? And where have they been used? I raised enough money to purchase 500 stretchers. And that was multiple orders. It's just so shocking. I come out here, I'm on the front line. I see a medic's vehicle with one of my stretchers strapped to the side. I see the ambulances here and there's stretchers with the Canadian and the Ukrainian logo on it. In the warehouse I was at, there was two or three there. I had a nurse come up to me from Norway and she said, oh, are you the Canadian that did all the stretchers? So they've gone a long way and they've not gone unnoticed. People notice them, they're being used. It was money very well spent. Also, when we chatted the first time around, Daryl, you mentioned you were a retired photographer. And now on this particular trip, you're working with a documentary crew in addition to all the other things you're doing. Yeah, there's a lady from the States. She's an Emmy award-winning writer. She's got three awards. I've been linked up with her. She's going to do the writing. I'm doing the photography and the videography for it. And it's basically portraying what the volunteers are doing. And this is a Ukrainian Patriot group. And the leader, she's a young lady. She was from Saskatoon. Kiev is now her home. And she was a ballerina. 
I knew that she was a heck of a person. We had some short talks on the phone, short talks through different chat apps. She delivered all my stretchers. She bought stuff for me, no middleman to help people out, tools, medicine. She's been amazing. I've got so much respect for this young lady. She's incredible. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but I always pick nicknames for people. And I've got the nickname Joker because I have a sense of humor. Her nickname is Cindy Lou Who because she looks like the little girl off of the Grinch. And she is a force to be reckoned with. She's amazing. You know, I told her she reminds me of Cindy Lou Who. But the documentary is focusing on how this young lady has got this movement going and the people they help and the connections they make. And it's not just showing up at a doorstep and dropping a food bag off. It's showing up and having 250 people lined up us giving out the food bags, people coming up and talking to her for counsel and giving her a hug and crying and saying they've lost everything. And I look forward to your visits and your stops. And and the food bags, they probably feed two elderly people for five or six days. It's a good all-round food kit, but it's not just the items. It's the connection with the people that this Ukrainian patriot are noted for. They're incredible. I'm on a team of seven of us. They're all amazing, all different Australia, quite a few Canadians. They're all incredible, hardworking people. And at minus 15, everybody at home would be going, oh, it's cold out. These people are out doing dance lessons in a field at minus 10. People are waiting behind the vans for food. Everybody seems to be happy in the worst times. Daryl, what are you seeing as you drive through towns and cities? Is there sufficient infrastructure for people to live? You mentioned bombed out buildings. Is there electricity, water, transportation? food at the grocery stores? Some of the towns we've been to, there's a few towns up near the Belarus border. There's not much at all. I don't know if they had electricity. There was, you'd go through a town and there might be one home occupied. We went through one town. There was no sign of life except for an elderly lady sitting in a chair at the end of her fence. It was minus eight, just sitting there. The roads are terrible. It's probably from all the tank traffic, but some of the bombed out towns are something that you'd see in a movie. It's definitely scarring, and it's hard to describe. Roofs gone, houses gone, walls gone. Some of the towns, maybe 5% of the buildings were left, and there's no infrastructure. There's probably no water. It's probably well. Most of the buildings we've gone to, even like hospital buildings in these small remote towns, they're all outside toilets. Very little plumbing, very little heating. We stayed in a bomb shelter for three days. It was built pre-World War II. There was no heating in that. The heater was having problems. But some of the people that were housed there during the invasion and the occupation, there were 60 people there, and some of the elderly had been there in World War II. So this is the second time around in that bomb shelter for them. Daryl, what type of warfare are you seeing? I'm reading at home about shelling, minefields, and now the use of drones. That's the frightening thing. There's signs all over the place for the minefields. You stay on hard surfaces at all times. You don't walk out in the sunflower fields. There's sunflower fields as far as you can see that I don't know if they plant them at, abandon them, but you don't go off a hard surface. We've had air raids nonstop. We've heard some incoming mortars. The scary thing that freaks everybody out is the drones. The Russians are putting thousands of drones up to the front where Ukraine will be putting 10% of that. They can't keep up. But these drones are the FPV drones, and they can go a long ways, and they can also piggyback. I believe a regular drone can go 10 or 12 kilometers. These can go 20 now. Any medivacs, they have to do at night with lights off or night vision goggles. Any traffic in the daytime, they're getting 
taken out within probably 10K of us. The drone warfare has changed things beyond belief. It's not like sitting there shooting guns at each other and mortar fire and tanks. These little things can go 100K an hour. There's no outrunning them. There's no hiding from them. Some of them are sophisticated with heat signature recognition. Kiev was hit with 75 drones that come in last night, and I believe they got them all, but two or three residents died. And then where we were on the front, it was nuts. I, I hate to relate it to fireworks, but it was like Canada Day celebration. It was just boom, 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 nonstop machine gun fire, artillery fire. And then last night, driving to the safe house, you just saw a flash that we were so close, you could see back mud. So it's a nightmare. It really is. Daryl, this is your fifth trip to the Ukraine. Have you reconnected with some locals that you've met on any of those past visits to the country? And how are they doing? Yeah, actually, just today I met up with Magnus. He was a Swedish fellow that had his own NGO, and he's training the military. In my eyes, he's a hero. He's maybe six foot one. He's just a big giant. I said he looked like Shrek before, and I told him that, and he gave me a bit of a slug. But he's a big, blue-eyed, happy Swede, and he is working his ass off all the time here. I think he went to Kiev for a break, but he's been here since I left. I had coffee with him today, had a good talk. He's getting tired. Everybody's getting tired. Russia keeps on pouring people. They don't care. The Ukrainian people here, they have limited people, and they're still going at it. Even the big gruff soldiers today in the grocery store, I was buying a bun, and there was this little kid bothering this big soldier, and I thought it was just a smart-ass little son. And the soldier's giving him a dirty look, and then he buys a pizza, gives the kid the pizza, and he walks away. And I ask, was that your son? And the fella spoke a bit of English. He goes, no, I don't know the boy. He was just hungry. And then he saw my patch on my sleeve, pointed to it, took his hands out of his gloves, put his food down, shook my hand, and says, thank you so much. When Today in BC continues, Daryl Mackay talks about the resolve of the Ukrainian people and how you can help. CanadianEvergreen.com is your trusted news source for all things green, offering up-to-date news and stories from Canada's booming cannabis industry. Content you can trust from Black Press Media. I'm Peter McCulley. Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. So, Daryl, if you're in the Ukraine and the weather is, as you say, minus 10, minus 15 some days. Are you able to stay well? Hopefully you haven't caught anything bad. It's been a tough go. The crew was hit by, I believe it was COVID at the start. So we're laid up for a bit. We recovered. Then we get on the road and we're doing some big drives. I think we've done 1,200 kilometers on some tough roads. And then everybody got hit by a stomach virus. I talked to Magnus and he said, all the guys in the trench, they're all stuck with stomach issues. I can't fathom how they're dealing with that when we have a toilet, we have a shower, we have a sink, and these guys in trenches, I don't know how they're dealing with it. One of the things that they're all desperately needing is cold medicine, which I just went and bought $350 worth of cold medicine for them. I was communicating with a friend of mine who was on the front, and I was all pouring me in a hotel room. I've got a cold or COVID, whatever. I told my friend that I had had a cold, and he says he does too. I said I have medicine. He said he had a lemon perspective is so different. I I spent three days in a bomb shelter with four dogs, two cats, eight people, and uh, a squat toilet. So it was a rough go. So I'm not uh, fully recuperated yet, but I'm on the mend and I've had good care. Daryl, you mentioned that you had met a British soldier. I believe his name is Sharif Amin, who has been nicknamed Rambo. 
at the beginning of the conflict, he came out here doing humanitarian work, and he's a British soldier that left England. He grew up in Bristol and moved to the Midlands. He came out here to help. He's always hated the bully, and he's always believed in helping people. A really good man. He said he came out here to do humanitarian work unless he was needed as a soldier. He was taken out in the field. He was working with the Ukrainian crew. A mortar round went off behind him, and he was embedded with shrapnel. If anybody wants to see him, you YouTube Real Life Rambo Ukraine, and you see his interview. But when I saw him walking down the street in Kiev, I stopped and says, excuse me, are you Sharif? And he looked at me, and he came over, and he goes, hello, brother, who are you? And he shakes my hand with a hand that's in a cast, and it's not working. He's got to get more operations. And so we started a talk, and then we met the next day, and we had a bit of a visit. Now he's working for the Ukrainian military, doing PR and trying to help get awareness. An amazing person. He's got the Mohawk haircut, tough guy, very well-spoken, very charismatic. He can't go back. He's waiting to get his hand operated on so he can go out and help again. He calls Ukraine his home. He hopes to live here after the war. Just meeting him, like I saw him on YouTube, and when I saw him on the street, he was the easiest, most approachable person I've ever met. And while we're talking, a young Ukrainian boy walked by and recognized him. Very shyly asked him if he could get a selfie. Sharif is like, no problem. Come on over here. Put his arm around him. They took a picture. And the young kid is shaking both of his hands and saying, you're a hero. You're a hero. Thank you for helping. I'm surrounded by heroes here. People go above and beyond. And I have to say that there's such a huge gap filled here by volunteer groups. A lot of stuff slips through. A lot of these soldiers, they take their vehicles out to the front line. If they get bombed up, they got to fix them. They pay for their own. If they have to upgrade their gun, they pay for that. For some reason, the government's not looking after that. Most of drones come from donations. But again, this Sharif, he did volunteer work. He did humanitarian work. And then he did soldier work. He's rehabilitating. And I wish him the best. I hope he gets all of his hand used back. A heck of a guy. You've talked about some of the heartbreaking stories, but there's likely more than a few heartwarming stories that you could share with us as well. Yeah, there was a really nice one today. We went by a volunteer center and there's a bunch of people, volunteers living in this town that are making camouflage netting for the troops. So that's all supplied by volunteers. It's all donated stuff. And they sit there and they weave this camouflage. We helped a little bit, but one of the people there, this lady, she was 85 and she took a shine to me. And I know very little Ukrainian, but I know that Lublu means like. And I caught her eye a couple of times and she gave me a smile. And as we're leaving, they're saying goodbye. And I walked up and I said, Lublu, mama. She did this little curtsy, put her arms out, did this little dance. She kissed me three times on the cheeks and gave me a big hug. And she thanked us for coming to help. She was a sweetheart. You still see good here. If most people were here, they want to run away right away. But there's so much good here, too. What are the needs, in your opinion, from what you've seen that the Ukrainians need to keep going? What do they need? Night vision goggles, Motorola radios. They're getting the medical supplies they need. I've told Magnus that I'll do my best to get some radios to him. Night vision goggles, it's so out of my league. They're like between five and $6,000 a piece, and I just don't know if I can drum that up. But when I go back, I'm going to make a very good effort at raising more money getting it to the Ukrainian Patriot, getting it to Magnus, and getting it to another regiment here. They need everything. Going to these displaced person camps, they have nothing. They've lost everything they've ever owned. One of the ladies was talking to Lana, and she just burst out crying. She lost her house. She lost her grandson. 
she's got nothing at all, nothing at all. And these people, they come and wait in line. It was a cold day. It was minus five, minus eight. The wind was whistling and there was a lineup of 250, 300 people not waiting for a handout, but waiting for connection. And this group I'm with, I'm really proud to be helping them. I have to stress that we're not doing stupid stuff. We are definitely helping people. We took supplies to uh, a couple of different Italians, fire extinguishers, food, medical supplies. This should be supplied by the government. And we're filling all these gaps. I don't understand why they're not filled by the government. I'm taking a night train from Kiev, and it's about 10 or 12 hours to the border of Poland. And then I take a two or three hour train to Krakow and I've got two days to decompress in Krakow. Then I fly home. So I should be home in four days. I really feel like this trip's been successful. It's been really fulfilling. What message, Daryl, would you like to convey to folks in BC regarding the ongoing conflict in Ukraine? We can't give up. We got to keep on helping these people. The war, the politics, I don't understand any of it, but I know that these people here, they need food, they need housing, they need heat, they need fresh water. I spent $3,000 of the donated money from my friends and the, your support. $3,000 went a long ways. There's at least 350 couples or families that are eating for the next four or five days from donations. And that's good-hearted Canadians showing that they care. We need to keep on caring. We can't go, okay, next news story. The Ukraine conflict is still going on, and these poor Ukrainians are still getting hammered by the big bully next door. But in all my efforts, I'm going to keep on supporting these people, making sure that I can help feed, help clothe, and help keeping medicine going to these people. I don't know how to get the message across for people. To, if they saw this, they'd have broken hearts. Like when I get home, I don't know I'm going to sit down and cry for a bit. It's going to be tough. Daryl Mackay on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, and Google podcasts. Get fast access to breaking news by signing up now to Black Press Media's free newsletters and stay informed with all the latest news delivered directly to your inbox. You'll have access on any device, so you never have to miss out again on the information you need to know.